Hey guys, just a quick content warning for today's episode. There is mention of Gorn murder, so if you're not okay with that, now is your time to click off. But other than that, let's start today's episode. Hey, hey guys! guys. <laughs> hey guys. So now it's um officially December, so we can start talking about more like more like wintry mm-hmm. kind of like Christmas stuff, um which I'm kind of excited about, kind of like how we did for like the horror hotspot stuff. Um, so all of our like cases this month are gonna be obviously more around like Christmas, mm-hmm. wintry that kind of thing. So, actually, I'm going to have um, Sage start us off today with their case. So, mm-hmm. take it away. Uh, so, I'm going to be talking about the Martin family disappearance of 1958. Um, it actually took place on uh, December 7th, uh, which is the day that we're recording this. It's not the day the episode <laughs> comes out, but it's the day where we're recording this. Um, so, it's been 63 years. Yeah, it's been 63 years since the disappearance. Okay, uh, Ken and Barbara Martin, along with their three daughters, Barbara, who's 14, Virginia, who's 12, and 10-year-old Sue, drove to the gorge in 1958, and then they were never seen or heard from again. Greg Graven's grandfather, Walter Graven, was a detective in Multoma, county when the martin family disappeared and he's like the main person who a lot of because the um main detective is dead now Mm. (laughs) um so greg um grew up surrounded by the martin case um and he says that his father believes it was a homicide and it would have been solved when the vehicle was located but obviously the vehicle still hasn't been located like, to this day. Um, so the Martins left for their home in the family's 1954 Ford station wagon around 1 p.m. When they didn't return, friends called the police, but no single agency took charge of the case. Again, after a few days, the Hood Sher- River Sheriff um, claimed that the Martins' car um, had accidentally plunged into Cascade Locks while backing up into the parking lot. The sheriff based his conclusion on some tire tracks and a credit card receipt showing Ken Martin had purchased gas in town. Detective Graven kept investigating, and to him, the Martin's trip seemed odd. The, he, this is um, what he said, the time of day they chose to leave was not a common time, and Ken didn't like to drive when it was dark outside. So obviously leaving at 1 p.m. for a trip that was far away seems out of the ordinary for this family. Um, Witnesses reported seeing the Martins eating lunch at a cafe in Hood River. A waitress said the Martins left and headed towards the Dales? Dallies? Dales? I'm just going to say Dales. Um, Detective Graven went there and discovered tire impressions on a bluff leading to the Columbia River. The tread matched the type of tires on the Martins' car. Graven then saw something else on a, on a rock near the edge of the bluff, um, which were paint chips, and they were sent to the FBI crime lab, um, and they were examined to be the same make, model, and paint scheme of the Martins family vehicle. Then there was a gun found in Cascade Locks near an abandoned stolen car, um, and it was coated with dry blood from, like, clubbing someone. So someone had found the bloody handgun and turned it over to the Hood River Sheriff 
um, but it was never processed as evidence. Detective Graven connected the gun to Martin's older son, Donald. Donald Martin was in the Navy and living back east, um, so he was not on this road trip with them. Um, a few years earlier, he worked in a sporting goods at the Meyer and Frank department store where he was accused of stealing the gun that was found at the scene. Um, Walter Graven had definitely uh, considered um, Donald Martin a suspect, at if not a suspect, at least a person of interest. So they um, investigated him and Fisher. Reportedly, Donald had a strained relationship with his family, um, and this was something that Detective Graven was aware of. Um, and he was, uh, Detective Graven was curious about, like, what Donald's role in this would be if he was living back east, but his, like, a gun that, um, had been connected to him was found at the scene. Yeah. Um, Donald didn't come back to Oregon during the search for his family, uh, but Detective Graven interviewed him by phone, and, um, in his notes from that interview, Graven wrote, it had to be planned out by... Then the name is scratched out, and his note continues to read, no one else with a motive. Um, using computer photo enhancement, um, J.B. Fisher, who's writing a book about uh, the uh, Martin of disappearance, yeah. um, determined that the name scratch scratched out is Donald. Um, and we don't know exactly who or why the name uh, was scratched out. Like, we don't know who scratched it out or why. Um, and we, but we do know that Graven's bosses uh, told him to leave the case alone. Um, then Graven wrote in his in the same notebook, even though I can get no cooperation from anyone, there is no murder that can't be solved. And then in May 1959, just a little, um, a little less than six months later, uh, the a barge hooked something below the bluff in the Dal in the Dallies, Dales, um, where Graven found the tire tracks and paint chips, and two objects were seen floating up from the water um, and were described as bundles of clothing. Uh, a few days later, the bodies of Sue and Virginia Martin um, were discovered downriver. Um, they were badly de decomposed, but the autopsy did um, was able to reveal a clue. Um, the autopsy report says in describing the photographs that one of the photographs shows Virginia Martin with a hole in her head, and um, that, like, left a question because then that means that the gun was fired. So mm -hmm. not only was it mean to club, not only was it used to club, kill someone, <laughs> but um, so Donald Martin skipped the memorial service for his sisters, but he did come back to Portland in June of 1959 um, to settle the family estate and meet with Detective Graven, um, saying, I know of no one who would murder my folks or no reason for it, but I don't see how it could have been an accident. Um, Graven was never able to solve the Martin case, and it haunted him for the rest of his life. Um, and his son, Greg Graven, uh, has also continued to follow this um, case continuously since his father's death um, in 1988. Um, but his notes, Detective Graven's notes, um, are still with the Dallies Police Department. 
Um, so yeah, and so there's no there's not been any further um, things that have come up or evidence that's come up since um, the night like 1959 when the bodies were discovered. Um, they still haven't been able to find the car, uh, nor any other bodies. And so it's really sad. That's because, freaky. Yeah, yeah, it's been over 63 years and just nothing. That's... Not even bones or anything. Um, yeah. So, and they were, to think that they were just going on a for family road trip, probably for the holiday season. This is relatively unrelated to the case. But um, anything that, like, sort of, okay, it's, it's not relatively unrelated, but it's, that doesn't even make sense, relatively unrelated. I don't know. Sorry, that just processed in my brain. But um, any time that, like, a family goes missing, it makes me think of that really infamous missing family where, like, they went on a road trip and then, like, the dog was still found in the car and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think we did that. Yeah, it was like probably. In o- it was, like, in, like, Oklahoma, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. I used to live in Oklahoma, so not to dox myself. Used to. They can't find you now. <laughs> or, I mean, yeah, they can. Yeah, they can. Uh, but, so, yeah, like, anytime I think about any um, missing family, it just makes me think about that case from Oklahoma because it's the most infamous one. And so I feel like a lot of conspiracy – I feel like <laughs> – I feel like a lot of conspiracy theories – rise up when any family goes missing now because of that case um because it was so um widely speculated so that's it for my story do you want (laughs) to go ahead with yours yeah so um for mine i'm going to be talking about the murder of the lawson family um which takes place in 1929 on christmas day december 25th um in germantown uh, north carolina in which the sharecropper Charles Davis, um, also known as Charlie, lost and murdered his wife and six of his seven children. Um, so, just like a little background info, in 1911, um, Charles uh, Lawson had mari- married Fanny Manring, um, with whom he had eight children with. The third, William, was born in 1914, but then he died six years later um, due to illness. And then in 1918, following the move of his younger brothers, Marion and Elijah, to the Germantown er- Germantin area, not Germantown. Um, Lawson followed suit with his family, and then they had worked as tobacco farmers, saving enough money by 1927 to be able to buy their own farm on um, Brookcove Road. Fast forward to 1929, shortly before Christmas Day, Lawson, who was 43, and his wife, Fanny, who was 37, and their seven children, Marie, who was 17, Arthur, who was 16, Carrie, who was 12, Maybelle, who was 7, James, who was 4, Raymond, who was 2, and Mary Lou, who was only 4 months old. Lots um, of children. Yeah. Um, they had, he had taken them all into town to buy new clothes and to have a family portrait taken. Aw. How sweet. Like J.C. Penney's. <laughs> yeah. In 1929. Yeah. And so this would um, have been an on. Um, common occurrence for a working class rural family during this era which led to speculations that Lawson's act was um, premeditated um, having purchased his own farm two years previous together with the fact that an association association press um, wire went out that day after the murders characterized Lawson as a quote-unquote well well-to-do farmer and would make a pre-christmas shopping spree appear reasonable 
Then on the afternoon, on Christmas afternoon, Lawson shot, first shot his daughters, Carrie and Maybell. They were setting, they were setting out to their uncle and aunt's house, um, and he waited for them by the tobacco barn until they were in range and shot them with a 12-gauge shotgun. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that ensured that they were dead by, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher this word. Is it bludgeoning? Yeah, bludgeoning. Bludgeoning them. And then he placed their bodies in the tobacco barn. Oh, God. Yeah. Afterwards, he had returned to the house and shot his wife, Fanny, who happened to be sitting on the porch. As Mm -hmm. soon as the gun was fired, Marie, who was inside, screamed while the two small boys, James and Raymond, attempted to go hide from their father. Yeah. Um... Lawson then shot Marie and then um, ki- um, and then found and killed the two boys who were hiding. And then lastly, he killed the baby Mary Lou, who again was only four months old. It is thought that she was bludgeoned to death after the murders um, took place. He went into the nearby woods and several hours later he had shot himself. The only survivor was his eldest 16-year-old son, Arthur, whom he had set on an errand just before committing the crime. And I believe we talked about this story before, but um, I was wanted to bring about again Mm because i don't know how in depth we talked about it um then the bodies of the family members were found with their arms crossed and rocks under their heads the gunshot signaling lawson's own suicide was heard by people who had already learned about the murders that happened on his property his farm and had gathered it the police officer who was with arthur ran down to discover lawson's body along with a letter to his parents footprints encircled the tree and it was supposed to that he had been pacing around the tree prior before taking his own life um and then here's some like theories on why he would do this commit this crime um so and months before the event lawson had sustained a head injury some family and friends theorized i had uh, had um altered his mental state and was related to the this massacre however an autopsy and analysis of his brain at john hopkins hospital found no abnormalities Mm -hmm. um and then this one is says marie's rumored pregnancy by charlie yeah oh my god yeah but the whole family for that i mean except arthur yeah what's that sound is that like desks yeah it sounds like it um yeah, I'm not going to go to him death, and it's kind of right. um, triggering, but mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that. I don't feel comfortable yeah. discussing this, yeah. but um, shortly after the murders, Charlie's brother, Marion Lawson, opened the home on Brook Cove Road as a tourist attraction. I don't like that. Um, a cake that Marie had baked on Christmas Day was displayed on the tour because visitors began to pick at the raisins on the cake to take as souvenirs, and it was placed in a covered what? glass cake saver for many years. That's, oh my gosh. A cake? Yeah. That lasts that long? I mean, I feel like that's not the part I should be, like, jaw on the floor at. But <laughs> I can't believe that um, the sister turned into, like, a tourist attraction. Yeah. Like, that just makes me feel icky. I don't, I mean, I don't, like... I think it's cool, like, when museums are, like, in, right. like, cool historical places, but that... Or like I'm not a museum, but it's... I mean, I, no. I feel like I feel like maybe a historical marker, but just I don't, not like a. I wouldn't want to go up to it. I don't know. I don't know. It makes me. Yeah, it puts a bad. It puts a weird feeling yeah. in my stomach. It kind of just reminds me like 
of those like conversations that people have about whether or not plantations should be places where people get married. Yeah. Because people get married at X plantations, which I think is crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah. But the thing that still baffles me is like, um, this was this happened in 1929. So I don't. Let me do the math. 2021 <laughs> minus 1929. 19, 90, 19 years. <laughs> yeah, it's 19 years. 92 years. I did not do the math, guys. Come on. 92. I'm just kidding. I, I did do the math on my computer. <laughs> um, no, but like 92 years, and like they still only have that information. Kind of like how you're saying with your story in 1950. I forgot what the 1958. Year was. 1958. Yeah. They like still don't have it, and then like you to see like how long technology has come yeah um like i remember my i took forensic science last year mm-hmm. and we were learning about um i i know there's some type of word for it but we're talking about like like bite marks and like stuff like that or uh-huh. like being able like decomposing and all that right and they were able to find this um they were able I think it was in Louisiana. It was some college. They were able to configure, like, what she had looked like, like, on computers, uh-huh. like, based, like, on the bones. Like, she had found, like, her bones, like, her yeah facial structure. It, w- it was weird, but they were able to, like, find some evidence. Yeah. The same stuff from bite marks. Yeah, like, reconstruction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's super crazy. And, like, the fact that in in the story about the f- uh, Martin family disappearance, mm-hmm. that um, they didn't take the gun that was at the scene in for evidence and processing. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just crazy to me because, like, that's, like, that's very clearly evidence. And they just didn't think, like, oh, well, maybe we want to take this in. And, like, especially if if it had been kept in evidence for that long and then finally, like, um, blood, uh, like, testing and, like, uh, DNA testing and... Um, you know, fingerprints testing had come around because it, it eventually did, then they would have been able to see who actually had touched that gun and who was killed with that gun. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, it's like so frustrating because you want to go back in time and be like, stop, just like fix this one thing. But yeah. you can't. I do think about that sometimes with like famous like um, unsolved or cold cases. Yeah. But... <laughs> Yeah. Like, I wish sometimes, like, they had, or, like, it's so weird, just, I know I I already said this, like, they were able to, like, the Zodiac Killer. Yeah. I mean, it's still pretty recent, so I don't know if it's, like, for sure, but a lot of people do believe it's factual, like, because it was, like, when did it start? I forgot what year. 1970, 1964? I forgot. I'm not positive on that. But, like, a while back ago. I mean, that one's more recent rather than the ones we're talking about in the 1950s or 1920s. But it's still weird how that came so long, like, all these, like, cryptic messages. And, like, they right. had to have, like, you know, stations. Definitely the FBI was probably involved um, in it as well. But I don't know. I think uh, I, we'll have to look into it more. I don't know um, any other infamous uh, murderers or notorious people for sending cryptic messages. I feel like a lot of people think of the Zodiac Killer. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's, like, pretty interesting because, like, what they're writing, like, they know what it means. Yeah. And then, like, they're, like, trying to, like, trick all these other people. Yeah. And you have to be a really smart person to come up with a cipher that takes 50 years to decipher or decode. Yeah. Right? And so, like, everyone, like, that's why a lot of people don't think it was 
the like Gary Post guy just because they like people are saying that he didn't seem that smart. Yeah. To create a cipher that you know, that took so long to decode. Or maybe he wanted them to believe. Right. I don't know. Maybe it was a I long, mean, long scheme of manipulation. He passed away in like what, like twenty eighteen, so they can't Yeah. They can't really find they no. can't really talk to him. No. But um and then like that infamous sketch, I'm like, it looks just like an ordinary man. <laughs> yeah, it looked like Ted Cruz. Like it could have looked like any man on the street. Yeah, a lot of people yeah, you're right. A lot of people compared to like famous people or just random <laughs> Yeah. Uh, very off topic, but just before the pod, just before you started recording, um, Bryn and I were talking about um, garbage patch kids, garbage <laughs> pill kids. Um, yeah, because I had a sticker on my computer that I got as a gift from someone a while back, but I don't even really know what it is. Yeah, but um, what I actually didn't tell Bryn before the podcast is Uh-oh. that I have a binder full of the little cards. <laughs> Cause they you have can, cards? Yeah, like that's what it, it's like a card with a sticker on it that you oh. can take off and place on other things. I see. And um, I have like a full binder of it and it like, my dad got me into it like uh, maybe in fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been meaning to get it back out, but uh, I want to know if anyone out there has, maybe maybe that'll be our our question this week yeah i want to start doing the q a thing yeah i know uh what's popping the other podcast here at our school does one um they do at the end of every single episode and um, i and i did one of the poll ones under one of the episodes oh really yeah i don't think anyone was involved <laughs> did anything every, to it. every vote counts every vote matters yes. guys i know i'm not 18 but every <laughs> vote matters mm-hmm. true take it off topic again Kind of on topic. It's in the Christmas somewhat spirit. What's for a Christmas movie? Oh, Scrooged. Scrooged I like is Scrooge. a really good. I never say Scrooge because a lot of people like don't really know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But it's a really good movie, and I think that um, I it seems like a movie I would hate, like a movie that I would just not like because it's very um sexist per se <laughs> but it's really good and i think it takes the like story of Ebenezer Scrooge to a whole nother level yeah um thank I you know, <laughs> sorry oh go ahead <laughs> i know you hate elf and i just want to bring that up just for us to to this <laughs> no i'm kidding i hate elf i hate <laughs> it so much my family loves it like my, cause like obviously like a lot of families have it. It's a famous family Christmas movie because it's hilarious. But it makes me just like, it fills me with rage. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Also, I don't like that him and Zoe Deschanel are in it together. Will Ferrell. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it just seems like also, she I don't was, want, I know I talked about like, this last year. They kiss. That's so yeah. weird. Isn't she like really young when they record it too? And he was like older. I want to say cause she still looks kind of young now. Yeah. I don't know how old she is now, but. Okay. I know she's dating one of the Property Brothers. <laughs> That's true. I did see that. <laughs> Sorry, guys. We get off topic all the time. Um, thank you guys for listening <laughs> to this week's episode. Um, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.